I'm so excited about this passage today. I almost jumped up there before that song. Whew. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, New Testament. I am excited about this message. I think, I think most pastors love the text that we're going to look at today because of the possibilities in it. And so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about our church, about why we're here, a little bit about what we're all about, and I want to share a little bit of my heart as the one who's privileged to be the senior pastor of this place. But I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it about Jesus. And so we're going to use a fantastic text about the early church. In fact, it's the first text that we ever used here nine years ago on a Sunday morning. Forty-six of us gathered together. And we looked at the last part of the second chapter of the book of Acts. Used it then and I've spoken of it often because I've always been fascinated with the possibilities for the church today that are in this passage. Not just for ours, but for all the churches out there. How much fun would it be to be a part of a church that's like the one that we're going to look at today? My whole ministry career, I believe that part of the reason that God gave us this passage is not so that we could see what the good old days looked like, but rather that we'd have a model for what today could look like. What the church of today could really, really look like. Who we could be. It's there for us also, not just because it was was the church 2,000 years ago. I truly believe in the bottom of my heart that what we're going to look at today is as every bit as real and possible for our church today as it was for the church that is being written about 2,000 years ago. Chapter begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit causes the disciples to speak in tongues, which are languages that they don't know, but the Holy Spirit speaks through them so that this huge crowd of gathered people could hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus in their own heart language. And we're learning what a heart language is more and more around here as we begin to extend our fingers into the mission field around the world that people might know more than one language, but there's one language that speaks to our heart. God understood that, and so the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak in the heart language of the people who were gathered. Then Peter steps forward. And Peter, we've read, talked about him in the Gospels. Peter preaches this incredible sermon. He, he preaches to this gathered crowd that has just seen this incredible thing. They're having a hard time understanding. And he's very, very clear about who Jesus is. And he's helping them to understand who the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit has just made Himself present in an incredible way among them. And people are confused. So we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, this gathered group of people. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They just experienced something they'd never seen before. This wasn't something they could rely on their memory or experience to deal with. They've just been cut to the heart and they realize that every other response they've ever had to anything like this in their life clearly isn't going to work. So they look at Peter and the apostles and they say, now what do we do? Because they've just seen something that explanation fails for them. What do we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter has got this captive audience that's absolutely silent saying, now what do we do? What, what's just happened here? What is that thing that we heard? And how come everybody that speaks different languages heard the same thing at the same time, but none of it made sense? What just happened? What do we do? And Peter's response, repent. Confess your sins and give your life to Jesus. That's what Repent is turn from the things that you're doing that you shouldn't. See, Peter knew that they'd all, the way that they'd always lived their lives, it wasn't going to work anymore, and that's why they were asking. What they just experienced demanded a new response. It demanded change, radical change. And he tells them when they do, when you repent, when you turn from your sins, your sins are going to be forgiven, and you're going to be given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. What was just happening here is for you as well. The Holy Spirit, see... He's the one that allows this new life to actually happen. And he goes on in verse 39 and he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, with the rest of His sermon, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this wicked generation. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that Peter said, but you know what? We see the results of it as the book goes on. Talk about a simple, direct, straight-to-the-heart message. It was a demand-for-action message. And all that's recorded for us is repent and be baptized. I know sometimes uh, in churches people don't always like the things that we talk about. Some of you think we talk too much about discipleship or Maybe you hear too much about life groups. A popular one is we talk too much about money. We don't talk enough about the warm, fuzzy things, right? But you know what? The Gospel of Jesus demands change in us. And maybe what we need to hear isn't what we want to hear. What if Peter's right and that the Gospel really demands that we repent from our old way of living and we embrace a new way of living, even if we don't really like to hear about it? Verse 41, So those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added to that day, added that day about 3,000 souls. That means there was more than 3,000 people there. That means this crowd was huge. It numbered in the thousands. 4,000, 5,000, 10,000. It doesn't say. But some of them said, No way. Not today. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm going to keep doing what I've always been doing. See, Peter's message required for some people more than what they were willing to give Jesus. Same is true in the church today that not everyone is willing to receive a message in the same way. Some of us take it to heart. Some of us say, you know what, it's time to initiate some change in how I live and how I speak and how I see the world. Well, other people... You know, some of us are happy to be hearers of the Word, but we don't really want to do anything about it. We're pretty content to keep living the way we are. But on that day, the Christian church grew by 3,000 souls who were willing to repent and be baptized. In one day, one message, the presence of the Holy Spirit in Peter's sermon, 3,000 people said, I'm ready. To me, that is an incredible thing. See, Peter knew that it wasn't enough that 
we're moved by great preaching or a great worship song or a, a deeply personal moment with God. He, he knows that those things go away. See, he's clear that we have to take a step. And he said the next step is to repent of your sins and to be baptized every one. The, the next step that Peter gives them, this crowd that's listening saying, what do we do? The next step is a personal one. It's an action step. And he goes on and he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. He could have been speaking to us today. We live in a crooked world. <laughs> we live in a world of fake news. We live in a world of greedy, power-hungry people who take advantage of us when they should be helping us. We live in a world that tells us that we can continue to go on being who we are, but still hear the Gospel and, and be something new and different. But Peter says no. Jesus says no. The Gospel says no. It, it doesn't work that way. At some point, if you hear it, if you hear the good news of Jesus, there has to be a change. So the people took Peter seriously. 3,000 were baptized. 3,000. After hearing Peter's message, seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were baptized. Now look at this and I think, that, that's awesome. And I realize there's, there's really only a couple of limiting factors in this passage. One is the response of the people who were there and heard Peter's message. The second one that I take very seriously is, that was Peter that was preaching. I think there's a once-in-a-lifetime preacher like Peter that hits the earth. God did things through him that I can't even imagine. God sent Peter to earth, and we'll most likely never have the kind of preaching that he delivered that day, but you know through history, we've heard some great ones. And the greatest sermons ever still boil down to one thing. What are we going to do now? And so here in this place, we'll preach God's truth. We will do our best to work to see that souls are added to that list of people who are going to heaven. And we will use this passage as encouragement and possibility for our own ministry. So then what happened? What did they do next? Verse 42. They, this gathered group of people, grew by 3,000. They weren't nearly that big. They were 10% that size earlier. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. What it means is that they were of one mind. They agreed on their purpose. They were united in their purpose and in their mission. They were a body of new believers who worked together in this common bond of their belief in the reality and the truth of the recently crucified and raised from the dead and ascended to heaven Jesus. They may not have agreed with each other on everything, but they agreed on their purpose. They agreed on what was most important. Jesus was number one. Now, I truly believe that most churches and most pastors really want to live out this passage. I really do. And the problem isn't that God has walked away and doesn't do this anymore. 
The problem is that our wants get in the way of God's will. And while pastors and groups and churches may want to say this is who we want to be, I think most Christian churches want to look like this church. The problem is that our wants get in the way of God's will. Verse 45, it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. They were so excited that they were selling off the stuff that they owned because they wanted other people to experience what they were experiencing. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They weren't just a Sunday morning church. They were an all-week-long, everywhere gathering of believers. They were a live-life-together group of believers. They gathered, they worshipped, they remembered Jesus in the Lord's Supper, they met in each other's homes for the purpose of growing in their faith and as disciples. Yes, they had life groups. That was how they went through the week. And they were grateful for what they had, but realized just before that it said that they were selling off the things that they had so that nobody had need. And they were grateful for what they had left. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people. You know why they had favor with all of the people? Because they were obedient. They were consistent and they submitted their will to God's will. They gave God the credit. They realized this new thing they were a part of, this church wasn't about them, but they were blessed and grateful to be able to be a part of it. It was about God and what God was doing here on earth among them. See, God's work didn't end with Jesus. Jesus completed what God sent Him to do. But the work here on earth isn't over. The work that God was doing had moved from Jesus, His Son, to the men and women who chose to believe that day and follow His Son. And now the work moves to you and I. So the right question is, well, then what happened next? If we inherit this, what happened next? I'll tell you what, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When churches are faithful, they grow. You know, it, it might not be that we grow in numbers. But the people who go there grow in the depth of their faith and their relationship to Jesus. They grow as disciples. The apostles taught the truth that Jesus had shared with them and, and how to prepare themselves to live in a world that didn't understand what they believed. But if you wait for just a moment in this passage, before we get to the teaching, we get to the commitment that they had, that word devoted. We need to take a look at what does that mean? In Greek, it means they persevered, they endured, they persisted, they didn't quit. They were committed to each other and to living the truth that Jesus taught. They were committed to living out what they had experienced that day. They made the decision to be disciples of Jesus, not to be disciples of this corrupt world. So what happened between the time of Peter's great sermon and the rapid growth of that church and that church that seemed to get along and function so smoothly. See, time passes between Peter's message on the south steps of the temple in Jerusalem and those last verses. What happened? What was the key to this great church? I, I think it was a few things. First of all, it's who those people were. They weren't special. They weren't different. They'd been changed by the Holy Spirit and by their personal encounter with the forgiveness that they'd received from 
the risen Jesus, they weren't the same as they were the day before that. They had been radically transformed and changed. And they agreed on an understanding about what they would be about as a group of believers. They accepted it. They had everything in common. They were of one mind. They didn't argue and disagree and bicker and fight. They didn't treat every opinion and every idea and every grumbly voice like it had to be heard and followed. No, they followed the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the apostles. They shared what they had and and what they were, and they did life together. It doesn't say that they all got along in everything. It says that they had everything in common. They kept the first stuff first, and everything else seems to have fallen by the side. But I think there's something else that happened here. I think they took the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24, seriously, and they put them in practice. Here's what He said. Jesus told His disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9.23, Luke adds the word, take up his cross daily. What does it mean to take up your cross? There have been a lot of very poorly understood sermons that have been preached on this one. When Jesus picked up his cross and carried it to the place of execution, he picked up his cross knowing it was going to carry him to his own death. He didn't argue about it. In fact, just before that, we find out he was silent throughout the whole process. When Jesus picked up his cross, he did it knowing that it would lead to his death. He stepped forward in God's will, not his will. So when we pick up our crosses, we do so in God's will to acknowledge and accept God's will for our lives, not insisting on what we want for our lives. We accept God's call on us and on our church. And we accept the vision and the direction that God is giving us. We die to our own will and we live to Jesus every day. And for us to experience the joy that had to have filled those first thousand believers, we have to do our part. We have to take that step. And the Bible says we do it together in one mind. We do it in unity. No grumbling, no gossip. We minister to each other. We don't talk about each other. You live in the same world that I do. People say all kinds of garbage all the time about you and others. They talk about you and I and other people more than enough. We don't need to engage in that. But we agree to do life together in God's will for us as Christians and as a church. So the next question we should ask then is, what's God's will? What does God want from us? Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. Not just make Christians. Make disciples. People who learn and know and live and do and teach others to do the same, to become more like Jesus every day. See, I know those 3,000 were taught, learned, and lived out this passage. I know that because we're a Christian church this morning, 2,000 years later. We're their spiritual children. We are their spiritual ancestors. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They made disciples. They took seriously Jesus' command to make disciples and to baptize them and teach us to live the way Jesus taught us to live. And because they did that, we're called to do the same. 
Great Commission doesn't end with us. It continues with us. And the thing that's so awesome is the message hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, God hasn't asked us to do something else. He hasn't asked us as a church or any other church to come up with some great vision and mission statement that's going to change the world. No, God says, just do what I asked. Just go make disciples. So today our church studies and teaches and lives the same message the church did 2,000 years ago. Our call, our purpose is nothing more, nothing less than the great commission that Jesus gave to His disciples. They began, we inherited, and we continue. The thing that keeps me going, that that gets me up and moving on days I would rather hide under a rock in frustration is the fact that the Bible shows us that a church like that we're working to become, it's existed. It isn't some lofty idea that's never going to be happening. It's real. We read about it in the book of Acts. It's happened in different places at different times in different countries around the world throughout history. It is possible. In the power of the Holy Spirit, it's real. And that possibility, folks, that drives me. See, I know that God can accomplish absolutely anything among us. I read about it in this book. And I've seen it. I've read it about it happening around the world. And if we're willing to give ourselves to be the church that we read about in Acts 2, 42-47, God will bless us with the joy of being a part of that. Now, I fully realize that my passion isn't everyone's. I understand not everyone wants to be a part of a church like this. It takes a different kind of a commitment than many of us grew up with. It takes a selflessness and a heart for those who are far from God. It requires us to give up some of the things that we might like our church to be. It means that not everyone that we reach and minister and that we join in worship on Sunday morning is going to be just like you or just like me. And yeah, it means that we're going to have to talk about our sin and about our money. Maybe more than I want to or you want to hear. Because reaching the world for Jesus requires us to repent of our sin first. And then like that early church, to stretch and be generous with what we have, and that includes our money. If hearing talk about money is more than you want to hear in church, that's okay, but be clear about something. Jesus talked about money and possessions in our relationship with them more than almost anything else. Half of his parables were about money and possessions. He knew what we needed to hear. He knew what we didn't want to hear. And yet he preached it anyway. So so maybe we can, if you're one of those that doesn't like hearing about money in church, you can be glad Jesus isn't your senior pastor. Because that would probably be just about every other Sunday. Because he knows what keeps us from him. That stuff that we say is ours. Church just wants it for this or that or the other thing. And no, 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 no. God just wants your heart. All of it. The result of all this is that that first church saw hearts transformed and lives changed. Lives saved saved from sin. And a cultural revolution began in the name of Jesus. And we're called to be disciples today. Disciples of Jesus who give our lives to Him through the local church. And when we do, we too will see 
People changed, life transformed, culture around us transformed for Jesus, not because of who we are, but because of the truth of who Jesus is. That's why I'm here. It's, I, I believe so totally in this. I choose to spend my best working years right here. I believe that we are called to change the culture of this area for Jesus, not alone, because God's going to use other men and women in other churches to do it along with us. We're not fighting this battle by ourselves, but we are called to fight this battle. But first, we're called to repent and to be faithful and to be obedient and to be generous so that we can grow as disciples. Because if we're not living that way, we can never expect someone else to do it. We can't reach someone and tell them what they need to do and they say, well, what about you? And say, yeah, that's not right for me. It doesn't work that way. But when we do, we can reach the people of our area and the world with the hope that is in Jesus. That's who we are. It's why we're here. It's why we as a church exist. You hear me say all the time that you're never here by accident. I say you're not here by accident because I said God sets divine appointments with His people and you're all part of God's people. You're here today even if you're only here for a, a one-time, first-time visit because God has something for you. Maybe it's something to take back to your own church. Maybe it's a change that you need to make. Maybe today's your day to take a step of action. Last week we welcomed about two dozen people at our two services into membership of this place that said, yeah, I want to be about that. I want to be about growing deeper in my faith and growing as a disciple and reaching out and being a part of changing the culture in this area for Jesus. So together, we're going to be committed and obedient to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to becoming disciples of Him. We're going to talk about the tough stuff. We're going to talk about sin. Yours and mine. We're going to talk about money because Jesus did. We're going to talk about the things that it's so easy to go to church and say, I just don't want to hear about that. But if we do our part faithfully together, you know what we're going to experience? We're going to experience that little word that's buried in that passage that says, and they were all in awe of what God was doing among them. They were in awe. They came to church and they lived their life in awe. Because they were obedient and they saw God at work around them every day. God was present among them. The Holy Spirit was active and human lives were changed daily. And to me, that would be an incredible church to be a part of. That's why we're here. Because the book of Acts tells us exactly what they did right. And when they did things wrong, Jesus paid the price for their sin and for our sin. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that you are here to be a part of. That is why we are here as the Open Door Christian Church. To not just read about the church in the second chapter of Acts, but to do our very best to be that church. I really hope that you will join me and be a part of it. I hope that you will be as excited about it as I am. I hope that you will come to church and live your life as a disciple of Jesus, waiting and looking for chances to be in awe of what God is doing around us. Let's pray. God, thank You for who You are. Thank You for this early church. Thank You for the first Christian church that we see recorded in the book of Acts. God, thank You for what You did in them and with them and through them. Thank You that they were faithful 
that they were not just hearers of Your Word, but they were doers of Your Word, and that we are their spiritual grandchildren. We are, we are the ones that are here today because they were faithful to You 2,000 years ago. God, being a disciple of Jesus, being a church that lives and functions according to Your call on all of our churches isn't easy. We know that. Everyone who's ever tried to be a part of a church knows that isn't easy. God, we really don't have another choice if we're going to be faithful to You. God, I ask that in Your Holy Spirit You would teach us to be generous. That You would teach us to be loving. Accepting and to live in Your truth. Not the one that we want to create that feels good, but the one that You have given us. Thank You, God, for Jesus and what He did for us that we cannot do for ourselves, that we even get to have a conversation like this. And thank You for Your Holy Spirit, for He is the one who brings us to the point of faith and helps us to live a life of faith. And God, we thank You for You. Thank You for who You are, that we never have to question that. And God, now ask that in the power of Your Holy Spirit You would move on each one of us to do whatever it is that You're calling us to do next. Maybe we've been putting it off. Maybe we don't even think about it. But God, we know that You have a next step for each and every one of us. God, I pray that You would make that clear and that You would press it upon our hearts to take it. In Jesus' name, Amen. My last thing is this. You know, you don't have to do anything after a message like this. You can go find another church that doesn't put that kind of a challenge down. But you know what? You have an opportunity to be a part of a church that wants to make a difference in the world that we live in. We're not the only ones. Don't get me wrong. But we're one of the churches that truly wants to make a difference. And not just to make us great. That's not what we want to do at all. What we want to do is preach Jesus and we want to make people understand that God is already great. That's who we are and that's what we're about. And we're joining with other churches. We're working with these folks that are in Columbia because there's other churches out there trying to do the same thing in the area and around the country. It isn't about who we are other than the fact that we have the opportunity to tell people about who Jesus is. Maybe that's the next step for you to take.